0: 2 Kings chapter 20, and we're going to take a look at uh last chapter for King Hezekiah. So uh, as we do, and or kind of before we do, um, Monday and Tuesday was a real blessing. We had guys from uh, uh, the Mormon Research Ministry out here Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I know some people forgot or missed out, didn't get an opportunity to come. Um, if you'd like or are interested in getting uh, some of their stuff, their books and stuff are available in the bookstore. But uh, if you'd like to hear what they were talking about, that's available on their website. So just holler at me and I'll make sure you guys get it. Thanks, brother. Um, so tonight, as we... Uh, open God's word, I'm kind of excited because kind of wrapping up Hezekiah's life, and and uh, I don't know if I teach this like everybody else, I don't think I do, but a lot of times people go through Hezekiah, and they everybody, you know, promotes Shennacherib, remember the battle against Shennacherib, the big army outside, Hezekiah comes, lays it all out before the Lord, you know, says, God, help, you know, we can't save ourselves, we can't do anything for ourselves. And he lays it all before him, and the Lord answers his prayer, sends one angel who comes through the army, 185,000 men, and wipes them all out. The next day, the whole army's gone. Shennecarib runs back home, and a few years later is killed by one of his sons in the temple of his God. And that's how chapter 19 ends. And then chapter 20 comes, and I think we sometimes some of us preachers can do a disservice to Hezekiah when we come to that. Chapter 20 comes right on the heels the the way that the scripture is laid out for us we're probably talking the same period of time. So not years have passed the battle has just been won. The angel had slaughtered the army of Assyria which really paves the way in a few years for Babylon to take over as the the ruling power of the world and Sennacherib <clears throat> runs home and about that time that same time it says in those days hezekiah was sick near death hezekiah gets sick probably he was sick during the whole deal with Sennacherib. probably was sick during that time but at the end of that time you remember when uh, Sennacherib made all the charges he made that, that Hezekiah sent word to Isaiah, the prophet. Same Isaiah in the book of Isaiah. In fact, you can read some of this in Isaiah. I think it's around chapter 38, somewhere in that area. Uh, Isaiah talks about these same stories. And so Hezekiah sends for him. Isaiah comes, gives him the word of the Lord for Sennacherib gives him the word of the Lord for himself. And now he's sick. And as long as Isaiah's there, might as well find out if I'm going to get better or not. And so the scripture says that Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So Isaiah tells Hezekiah, you're going to die, brother. Now about this point, I part ways with a lot of other guys. So Hezekiah cries out to the Lord. Most people, I don't know anybody who went in, hear from a doctor, get something chested, get something checked, and have the doctor say, well, you you only got a couple weeks to live. You're going to die. I don't know anybody who comes out of that hooting. Woo, great news. Everybody's like Hezekiah. I haven't met anybody yet who hears that news and doesn't cry out to God. What Hezekiah learned is so vital for us to hold on to because where did he go when things were impossible in, in the world outside of him? He took it to the Lord, right? 185,000 against, I can't even muster, 2,000, uh, we're going to get slaughtered, what am I going to do? God, he takes it to the Lord and the Lord delivers. Where are you supposed to take it if now the problem's within your body and you can't do nothing to help it? Where are you supposed to take it? But there are some people who say, Hezekiah should have just accepted this. He should have just accepted this and died. And he never would have fathered the son, Manasseh, that he has, who ends up being probably the worst king Judah has. You know what happens when you start messing with time? You ever seen those time travel movies? And the guy goes back to try to change one little thing, and he does something and and creates a whole bunch more chaos. You guys ever seen those, like... Every time travel movie, ever. That's how it works. Well, if you buy that, Hezekiah should accept that this was God's perfect will. You know, I'm not a big, perfect, permissive guy. Sorry. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sold on that concept. But they say, well, God's perfect will was for Hezekiah to die there. And then he would have never fathered Manasseh. It was just one small problem. Uh, he was the last of the line of David. So the line of David would end it. And there's this little guy who's going to be born, uh, you know, a little while later in a place called Bethlehem. You remember him? His name's Jesus. You remember what line he's from? That would be David, right? Kind of necessary that the Davidic line continues, don't you think? Up until this time, Hezekiah has no children. None. When the word says, set your house in order... It means go find a successor for your throne. You're not going to live. So that's the end of the Davidic line. it would be over. But Hezekiah takes that news to the only place he can take it. And I will never fault Hezekiah for asking God to heal him, to deliver him. You know anybody who doesn't ask for that? So I don't know, you know, I don't really understand where the the point of view comes from. But the idea that, you know, well, I think it I think what it does is it makes us stop praying for crazy things. What do you mean? Well, God told him he's going to die, so he shouldn't pray to be healed. Or the doctor said, you're not going to make it, so you shouldn't pray. Or we should just go and pray one time, right? We should just pray one time, Lord, deliver. And if he's going to deliver, he'll deliver. And that's it. The only problem with all of those concepts is they're not biblical. They're not biblical. We sometimes, I think, can be like little children who don't get their way. And when we don't get our way, we struggle and pout and... Wine and say, well, th- I'm not going to pray no more. I'm going to stop doing that stuff. You know, that prayer stuff, I don't, I don't know that that prayer stuff really actually does any good. I don't know if it really actually helps. We have, uh, we have uh, a couple of books. I've been talking to you guys in the past about fasting. We got uh, several awakening books are, are back in the bookstore. Uh, we got another 20 today. Um, and I also have a book in there called Wrestling Prayer. Because I think, um, I think one of the things that uh, they talk about, one of the things they talk about in in the book um, wrestling prayer is that concept. Of how am I going to deal with praying for the impossible? Because you work your way through the scripture, and you're going to have a hard time not finding places where people had to pray for the impossible. Are you? Uh, Seems like uh, everywhere where somebody was praying. And uh, and I'm reminded in this book, I just wanted to share this, this one quote with you. It says, soldiers fight with bullets and bombs. Boxers fight with punches. Talk show hosts fight with words. Politicians fight with power and social leverage. But we are supposed to be different. Our fight is a different one, and our method of fighting is very unique. It's prayer. So when you come to what Paul says in the epistles, I have fought the good fight. Can you say that? When the fight that we're fighting is through prayer that's the weapons of our warfare, not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. How do we pull down strongholds today? Not by might of power, not by forming a coalition, not by picketing, not by going out and making something happen of our own power. How do we fight today? We fight in prayer. Hezekiah gets the word, you're gonna die. And he prays. And Before we're too hard on Hezekiah, God answers it. God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't say, Hezekiah, because you would not accept this death. No, God answers his prayer. He answers the cry of his heart. Some people would say, well, that's a perfect example of God's perfect will and permissive will. Have you guys heard of that before? God's perfect will would be God's best for you. And God's permissive will is, is what God will allow to happen because you won't let the perfect will take place. I got a problem with that. We sang a song. It says, we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are literally the called according to his purposes. How many things? Huh. So when we... So when we look at what Scripture lays out for us, we understand, we want to get a picture of that. In the Psalms, the, 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 the people, remember when the people were in the wilderness and they wanted quail? Everybody remember? Here's quail, we want some meat, we're sick of manna, right? The Lord sent them quail, but in the Psalms it said he also sent leanness to their soul. And people say, that's another example of God's Permissive will, that wasn't God's best for them. Listen, how were the people going to learn that quail wasn't going to satisfy them? Except God gave them quail. He gave them quail. What did they learn? Ah, my wanter still wants. Have you learned that yet? Have you ever been able to satisfy your wanter? You know, I want, uh, since I was a kid, I can't believe how many times it happened. You know, all I want is one of them rock Sockam robots. Gosh, if I have a rock em sock robot, never have to get me anything else again ever rest of my life. You guys have all said that over something. And, and maybe, I think, in God's perfect will, he has allowed you to have those things a time or two so that we learn. Ah, you know, rock Sockam robots just doesn't do it for me anymore. It didn't satisfy that deeper yearning inside of me. Do I need to learn that in order to understand that you and I and every human being on the face of the earth has been created a, for lack of a better term, a triune being? You are physical, emotional, and spiritual. And 90% of the world wastes all their time taking care of the physical and do nothing for the spiritual. Or focusing on the emotional and do nothing for the spiritual. And they think, if I could only fix the way I feel, then, then I'll be a whole person. Or if I could only fix the way I look, then I'll be a whole person. But until you are actually a whole person with, with mind, body, and spirit, you'll never be whole. You'll always be chasing it. You're always going to be chasing after something. Hezekiah got bad news and he prayed and God answered his prayer. I say that means if you get bad news, don't run here or run there or go to the other place. Take it to the Lord. I did that. I prayed. Maybe you prayed 10 years for something. So pray 11. What's the problem? Life's so hectic, you got no time for prayer. That's the only weapon you have. What else are you going to fight with? By a shotgun? Well, that's the way the world does it. That's the way the world does it. But that's not what Hezekiah did. Look what he did. It says he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. So he turned his, he's, he's in bed... He's sick. He can't get up. He hears from the prophet. He believes what the prophet said, I'm going to die. He turns his head to the wall to to find some solitude in this room. There's probably other people in the room with him. He turns his head to the wall and he prays. Immediately he prays. And he says in verse 3, this is his prayer. Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And God did not say, that's a lie. So I guess it was true. Chapter before, guys, you remember when we were introduced to Hezekiah? Do you remember? We, we go back to where Hezekiah first uh, um, was brought on the scene. It says in verse 5 of chapter 18, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. That's what the Bible says about Hezekiah. So when he prays, he's not lying. Lord, I've, I walked with you. I've been your guy. Does he say anything else? Just says he wept bitterly. Right? Right? He wept bitterly. All he did is say, Lord, I have followed you all my life, and I have done whatever you wanted me to do. And when it says he wept bitterly, it means he wept bitterly. Like, there's not a stronger term. So we're talking about hard crying, heart broke. What does the Bible say that the Lord is near to who? A broken heart and what else? He also likes a contrite spirit, right? Those he won't despise. The psalmist told us. Those are the things that the Lord looks for. Broken heart and a contrite spirit. An attitude focused toward the Lord. He prayed. He couldn't even get the words out. His prayer ends up being a giant cry. What's Romans 8 tell us? Romans 8 says, Sometimes we struggle knowing how we ought to pray. So what happens? The Holy Spirit prays for us with what? Groanings that cannot be uttered. That means the Holy Spirit tweaks our prayers on the way to the Lord. He fixes them. What else does the Bible tell us? In the book of Hebrews, what do we know? Who is always living to make intercession for us? Jesus is. Jesus is always praying for you and me. And anybody else who's a believer, Jesus says, I always live, he always lives, right? To make intercession for you, to pray for you. Let me ask you a question. What prayer of Jesus did God not answer? What prayer that Jesus prays for you is not going to be according to his name, according to his character? Is there a prayer? Is there something that Jesus is going to ask for the Father on your behalf that you're not going to get? 1 Peter 3 tells us that we already have everything we need for godliness to live the life we have It's already all been given to us. We just tend not to walk in it. I can hand you a check today that had $500,000 written on the front and you can walk around with it and think you're a rich man but until you take it to the bank and some crazy person cashes it for you. You don't have nothing, do you? I think sometimes we have all these things given to us, every spiritual blessing under the heavenlies. That Paul tells us in Ephesians, we have. How do we tap into those blessings? How do we tap into the power of God? How do we tap into those things? Well, if you read this, it'll tell you, you pray. But the number one most neglected discipline in a Christian's life is prayer. I, when I was at the leadership conference, I picked up a book. Uh, it's the Prayer Journal, uh, uh, George Mueller. You guys know George Mueller? George Mueller got a crazy idea. He, his crazy idea was, I'm going to start an orphanage, and I'm not going to tell anybody what I need. I think God wants me to do an orphanage and God knows what I need. So I'm just going to pray until it happens. So he prayed until he had a house. He prayed until he had the money to start it. Then he realized in his prayer journal, I forgot to pray for kids. When the time came to open, he didn't have any kids. So he started praying for kids. Kids came. Every time, I want you to listen to this. Every time he needed money, Every time he needed food, he never told anybody. He told God and waited for it to come. And he ended up somewhere in the neighborhood of eight different houses and more than 10,000 orphans and never once asked anybody. He just prayed and God did it. And I think we think that's so wild. How could something like that really happen? But that's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? I mean, isn't that the way our life is supposed to be? Isn't that the experience we're supposed to have? Isn't Jesus say, if you ask anything according to to my name, my Father will do it for you? Isn't that what he's saying? Sometimes I think we don't get it. So we'll come to sections like this and we'll say, Hezekiah should have never asked. God gave him 15 more years and he sired the most evil king on the face of the earth. That's right. Manasseh, the evil king in Judah. You know what he's going to do? You see this guy who gave him the word, Isaiah? You know what Manasseh's going to do? He's going to put him in a log and cut him in half. He's going to kill him. Man, he should have never let that guy live. There's just one other sad note. If you take Manasseh out, you take Josiah out too. You take Josiah out, and Manasseh out, you take you take that lineage of Christ. Man, we want to we want to give God space to work. God's gonna give us everything we need in order for you and I to be able to arrive home safe. Do you get that? God's desire is for you to get to heaven with him, spend eternity with him. That's his most important thing. Because once you get there, you're gonna realize all the the hard things that we had, no matter how bad they were, all the hard things we had are are not even worthy to be compared with the glory you have in his presence, with the beauty that you have in in the presence of, of almighty God for eternity. That's what Paul tells us not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed yeah that's every other case except mine as my case is worse my issue is is bigger my struggle is more i'm not saying your struggle might not be hard and i'm not saying life may not be difficult but i am saying it's not worthy to be compared with the glory the good the majesty the beauty that you're gonna experience in the presence of God. And so God's gonna allow into your life whatever it takes to help you get home. Whatever you need to make it home or whatever your neighbor needs to make it home or whatever your children need to make it home, that's what he's gonna allow. That's what he's gonna bring. That's what's gonna happen. Well, look what happened in verse four. It happened before Isaiah had got out of the middle court So Isaiah hasn't even got out. He just left. King Hezekiah is crying. He's praying. Um, He walks out the door. Doesn't even make it to the middle court. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, what I have heard, I have seen, I will heal. Do you remember that phrase? Because we've seen that phrase before. I have heard, I have seen. I have come down. I will save you. Same thing. He says, I have heard. I have told Hezekiah. I hear him. And then what else? I have seen your tears. You know that the psalmist wrote that the Lord bottles tears. Have you guys ever been to Israel? They have tear, tear bottles. In Israel... People would save their tears because they're considered to be very valuable. And so you'd have these little, tiny, um, really uh, uh, fragile bottles. And it would symbolize a life of pain and sorrow. It was was fairly valuable. Maybe you think, I could fill hundreds of those up. The Bible says God keeps yours. Every tear you ever cried. It wasn't that he wasn't watching. It wasn't that he didn't care. It wasn't that that he was blind to the fact that you were in pain. He was bottling your tears. He was holding your tears. He was capturing your tears. The Bible says, and what's he say here to Hezekiah, who's weeping in the other room? I see your tears. When you have seen your child brokenhearted, does it break your heart? I remember Kathy's dad telling me a story one time. Kathy and I, I don't know if anybody else did this in high school. But Kathy and I, we dated in high school. We go way back. <clears throat> and we break up a few times while we were in high school. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but sometimes kids do that in high school. And she was in her room crying, and her dad was outside the room And later on, he told me I was outside a room while she, she, he'd get mad when I break up with her. So we would have father one day son-in-law talks, you know. And, uh, man, it break his heart that she was crying. And he would long for the days when all she wanted to do was play with Barbie again. Forget about all this guy stuff and these things where people break your heart. Forget about all that. If you think that's the emotion that you have as a parent, do you really think God who is eternally good has somehow lesser? He don't feel the same way. Like I think sometimes we elevate ourselves and we think we're so godlike because we can feel sorrow and we can feel but surely God in heaven doesn't care. But that's not what the Bible says. I see your tears. I feel your pain. The difference is God in heaven will allow whatever is going to bring the most people to him. So if that means there's pain for a moment, what's the rest of the song say? Joy Joy comes in the morning. Once I have you home with me, it's all going to be okay. That's the cry of a father who loves you, not a father who's trying to destroy you. How far did he got? He, he just got out of the house. He's still in the front yard. And God says, Isaiah, go back. Tell him, I hear him. I see his tears and I have healed him. He's not going to die. He's not going to die. Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. I heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day, you will go up to the house of the Lord. That means you couldn't go into the house of the Lord if you were sick or stuff was wrong so he's saying by the third day you're gonna be perfectly fine by the third day how many you know how many times that number comes up by the way in the bible third day three days does that remind you of anything no keep reading you get to the end of the book it'll make more sense on the third day you will go up to the house of the lord and i will add to your days 15 years I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. He says, Not only am I going to save you, I'm going to save the whole city. I'm going to save everybody. Assyria is not going to get to you. Nobody's going to touch you. I got it all covered. That's what he tells them. Does that sound like a rebuke in there anywhere? Why are you doing praying to live any longer? You listen. If you don't learn nothing else from me ever, for crying out loud, you pray to God for anything. You want anything you think you need, anything you want to see God do in your life, you pray. And you pray until something happens. You pray till God does it. You pray till God changes your heart. You pray until the situation changes. But you pray. You stay faithful and you say, I'm going to keep asking because that's what Jesus said to do. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, you keep asking until something happens. That's what Jesus said. So that's, what, that's how we are. So pray. God's a big God. If he don't want you to have it, he'll say no. If he wants you to have it, I think he'd like to see you live your life a little bit in faith. Asking. Because that's what Jesus said. When the Son of Man comes, will I find faith on the earth? Will anybody be praying? Or will everybody have given up by then? well, he prays, God hears. He's going to give him 15 years. So Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And they took it and laid it on the boil and he recovered. So there was some kind of skin disease. And the Lord said, put figs on them. Now, what do figs have to do with anything? Probably nothing. But I think it makes this connotation. It's never wrong to use medicine in light of God's healing. Who heals? God heals. You have cancer, you have chemotherapy, radiation, bone marrow transplant, they do the whole deal and you come to the end and they announce that you are you have a clean bill of health. God healed you. No, God didn't. You know, it was the radiation and well, Be careful. Once Hez, well, not Hezekiah, once Nebuchadnezzar, he looked around and said, "Man, look at all this stuff I did." And God taught him how he didn't do it. Who do you think gave men wisdom? For medicine. Why does it work for some people, not for others, if it's a cure all? <laughs> it's no guarantee, is it? No guarantee. Cassie, who is the little 11 year old girl we've been praying for, you guys remember? And she has cancer. It is a really rare cancer, only in 1% uh, of any children who get cancer. Uh, There's no cure for it. So all they can do is cut it out. It's currently in her leg, in the bone. So what they're going to do is cut the bone out of her leg and graft in a cadaver bone so she'll still have a leg. And the, because she's so young, the prognosis is pretty good, 85% chance she'll live. That's pretty good odds from a doctor unless... That bone cancer, when it starts to come, it, it has a tendency to metastasize quick. And the first place it goes is the lungs. And if it's in the lungs, then everything changes. But we don't know yet. Is it in her lungs or not? I don't know. Do you know how I'm going to pray? Lord, keep it out of her lungs. And then A week or two when we get the word and and if they say it's not in their lungs, you know what I'm going to say? Thank you, Jesus. Who gives the glory for that? He does. And then what? I still got a lot of praying to do, right? Because it's still in the leg. We don't never stop. We don't never quit. We don't never give up. We keep taking it to the Lord. God heals. Period. The only way anybody is ever able to bring any kind of healing is because God wrought it through them so we pray they use figs it's okay to go take medicine it's okay to go do chemo you hear all the time people uh saying well we're praying and we're not going to take any medicine well, how do you know God's not going to use medicine he, he rubbed mud on a blind guy's eyes he put figs on Hezekiah that's not the only time he did this kind of stuff why did he do that stuff he did that stuff to tell us it's okay to take medicine. You guys heard that story about the guy, the floods happening. And he says, Lord, save me. And the guy comes by in a boat. I'm jumping toward the end of the story. You know what I'm talking about? And the guy in the boat says, hey, mister, you want to get in the boat? No, I'm waiting for God's going to deliver me. And then the last, there's a helicopter coming. Hey, mister, flood water's getting really deep. Nope, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. Then he drowns. And he goes to heaven and he says, Lord, where were you? And the Lord says, I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. You wouldn't get in any of them. Look, the only way that God moves is not in, in the big show. Can God work in the big show? Some huge miracle? Sure he can. Can he work in the natural too? Yeah, he's God, isn't he? He's God. So we, we put those things out to him. We lay them out to him. We ask God to move. And we don't stop Ever ever we pray we and we keep praying well it says hezekiah said to isaiah what is the sign that the lord will heal me that i shall go up to the house of the lord on the third day so he's asking for confirmation now this seems weird to us but i think it was ahaz there's a wicked king who i'm not asking god for a sign i don't want nothing from the lord that was his attitude Hezekiah is never rebuked. Hezekiah says, Man, Lord, can I, would you give me some confirmation that you're going to do it? Would you give me a sign? So I know you're, you're, this is really going to happen. It's not just, you know, my mind trying to tell me I'm going to be okay or Isaiah, because we do that, don't we? Oh, I think that's just my, my voice in my head telling me that. Don't we do that? So he says, Will you give me confirmation? So Isaiah said, This is a sign from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. We, do you want the shadow to go forward 10 degrees or backward 10 degrees? God is going to turn time forward or backward. So he says to him, what do you want him to do? It cracks me up because I think both of those are pretty incredible things to see God do. Look, it says, uh, so Hezekiah said, it's an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. What? That don't seem easy to me to turn time forward. Look at a sundial. It's an easy thing for God to move the shadow 10 degrees forward. I don't know. They seem both amazing to me. But he says, I want him to move it back. That's roughly turning time back 45 minutes on the sundial. That's kind of an amazing thing, right? That's pretty miraculous to me. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So he did it. So he knew that God was going to be faithful to what he promised. Now, what happened to Hezekiah those 15 years? I want you to don't just focus on, people often just focus on Manasseh. So I'm not going to focus on Manasseh. He has all of his children during the next 15 years the worst one in manasseh but through him is going to come josiah josiah is a pretty good guy there's a thing in proverbs 25 1 a title of a group of scribes called the men of hezekiah what they did was copy the old testament scriptures and put them together in order In fact, in some of the Old Testament manuscripts that we have today that go back, they have at the end of the scroll, Hebrew letters, HZK. Some people believe that was the symbol of Hezekiah. What's the big deal? He's going to spend 15 years building the Old Testament, putting it together. That's a long time ago, by the way. Then you're going to have two pretty wicked kings. And then you're going to have Josiah. And you know what Josiah finds that turns the whole thing around? The Old Testament scriptures. People forgot where it was. And there's a scroll by his great, great grandpa that he spent 15 years putting together that's going to start a revival that Josiah planned that gives the people one more chance to turn to the Lord before they go into captivity. One more opportunity to... To get things right. Because Hezekiah spent that 15 years. Copying the Bible. Putting the Bible together. Thinking maybe this will help my son. Maybe it will help my grandson. Turns out it's a great great grandson. It goes all the way down to him. Hezekiah devoted his last 15 years. To doing everything he could. To try to help his children follow. Have you ever tried to do whatever you could. To help your kids make good choices. And still had them make Bad ones. That's kind of the heartache of having children. You can't make every choice for them. You think you can. For a while. But the day will come. Little Johnny. Gets to make his own decisions. And. Then you're at the mercy of. The choices they make. You do the best you can right. And trust that God loves him. More than you do. So we see. Man, Hezekiah gets delivered. He spends 15 years. He has children. He, he establishes the, the line of David is going to continue. He copies the Bible. He builds Hezekiah's tunnel. You guys know Hezekiah's tunnel? When Assyria was coming, we didn't talk about it last time. When Assyria was coming, they set up a siege wall, right? So what was the point of a siege? So you can't get outside the city to get water. Hezekiah, knowing that Sennacherib was coming... He sent workers. He had to hurry up and get this thing dug. So he sent workers out to the water supply. I think it's somewhere near the Kidron. I have to remember. And they start digging back toward Jerusalem. And then he put two guys in Jerusalem digging toward the guys who were digging the other way. Before the days of engineers. You know, those guys that sit there and look through them things and say, yep, that's straight. You see me? Yep, okay, Follow this line? Yeah, they just dug it. They just dug it. And and in case you're thinking it's straight, it is the crookedest thing you ever walked in in your life. You ever chance to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel? Hezekiah's tunnel's like this it's all over the place, back and forth. You have turns, left turns, right turns. What do you do if you're digging and you hit a big rock? You go around it, right? And then you get a little further, another big rock. What do you do? Go around it. Well, these guys dug from both sides, and the story goes, they met pick to pick. And you can still walk through the tunnel today. That's how Hezekiah brought water into the city when Sennacherib set up his siege. He did a lot of good things. He did a lot of good things. But 2 Chronicles tells us about this time when he was sick, uh, 2 Chronicles 32 you guys want to look at it, uh, you know, you're welcome to. We can flip over. There's only a couple of pages, probably. Second Chronicles 32, about verse 25, gives us a little, says, uh, but Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him. Well, let's look at 24. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. So that's what we just talked about, right? God heals him, gives him a sign. He's going to be okay. He doesn't waste his last 15 years. But in verse 25, it says, but Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him. For what's it say? His heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem, and Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. See, in verse 13, or verse 12, it says, at that time, right after he gets healed. So right after he's been healed, it says, Baradak Beladan, the son of Beladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. Why? Because he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So the king of Babylon, which is going to be a big player here in the not too distant future, hears Hezekiah. Why does the king of Babylon care about Hezekiah? Okay, back up a chapter. The whole army of Assyria was just about ready to take Judah. Remember, 185,000, and in one day they were all wiped out. You don't think the rest of the world all over the place heard that story? Babylon is like, dude, I don't know what Hezekiah did, but he just totally thrashed those guys from Assyria. So he sends him a letter, man, I heard you were sick. And and so he starts to get this built up by by what uh, these other kings and other people are saying about him. So these guys come to him in verse 13. It says that Hezekiah was attentive to them, and he showed them all the house of his treasures the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all his armory and all that was found among the treasures. Uh, there was nothing in the house where in all the dominion that Hezekiah didn't show him. Do you hear him say why how he got better? Is there anything in there where you hear him say how God delivered him from the armies? Second Chronicles tells us Hezekiah fell for the same thing we do. Listen, The scariest point in our life is not in defeat. The scariest point in our life is after a really big victory. Because then we can be built up with pride. So now you got the second most powerful nation in the whole world, Babylon, coming and they're building you up. Dude, I can't believe how you wiped out the Assyrians and and you were sick and now you're better. Man, you are an amazing dude. And they're talking about how wonderful he is and what a great job he's done as a king and he starts showing him all his stuff yeah look at all the gold i got and look at this and look at this and look at this he doesn't say anything about the lord does that mean he's a bad person no it just means it means he's a person like you and me Isn't that what james said remember elijah we think all these great things about the prophets what does james say he was a man just like you and me did he ever despair of life? Did he ever want to quit? Did he ever want to stop Chuck it all? I'm sure he did. What about Jeremiah? Did he ever want to quit? Yep. What about Jonah? Did he ever want to quit? Yep. Lord, kill me. Ah, forget it. I want to die. What did Elijah say? Did he say something different than Jonah? Elijah said the same thing. Kill me, Lord. I don't want to live no more. This is too hard. What did Jeremiah say? Well, I thought following you was going to make my life better. They all say the same thing. Because they're just like us. They're just, real, they're just people that God used, who gave themselves to Him, who were willing to follow His precepts and His ideals, who were willing to apply the simple principles that God's Word lays out, and God did great things through them. It says in verse 14, So Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah, and he said to him, What did these men say, and from where have they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came from the far country, from Babylon. And he said, well, what, have you, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah said, they've seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. So, Hezek, so Isaiah said, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, what your fathers have accumulated until this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they will take away some of your sons who will descend from you whom you will beget, so we're talking about great, great, great grandsons, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? Well, what does Hezekiah mean by that? Nobody really knows. Some people think Hezekiah was like, well, at least it's not going to happen in my time. I don't know if that's really Hezekiah's heart or not. I think probably he's just rejoicing in the fact that God's given him the grace to not, not bring judgment at that point. But now he knows judgment is coming. Really, is the word that Hezekiah has any different than the word you have from the Lord today? Is judgment coming? One day, right? Has Jesus given us a job until the day of judgment? What was that job? Go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the earth. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Judgment is coming. Hezekiah just knew it wasn't coming in his lifetime. I think he was thankful that that he wasn't gonna to have to see it. But it doesn't change the, the job he had to do. Remember, 15 years he wrote out the Bible. He tried to make sure that the things that the generations that were to come that they would have the ability to make a choice. God never condemns someone because of their father's sin or their children's sin or their everybody pays for their own, right? Now what it says in Ezekiel, no longer shall you say the the have the saying that the the father ate sour grapes so the kid's teeth fell out. You don't pay it, you're not paying you pay for your own sin. Your parents pay for their own sin. And your great-great-grandpa pays for his own. God told Hezekiah there was judgment day coming. Hezekiah rejoiced that it wasn't going to be one he'd have to see. But he spent the next 15 years. Trying to send something ahead for those who would be there. Are we preparing the soil for our kids? Are we preparing the soil for our grandkids? When I say that, I mean, are we preparing them spiritually? Are we providing opportunities for them down the line? Or or is our focus wholly on me getting by? hezekiah knew judgment was coming i know judgment's coming i actually hope jesus comes tonight before i finish and it's all over that'd be really cool but in the meantime i got a job to do right the call the fact that that the rapture can happen at any moment is not a call to laziness or slothfulness it's a call to let's get cracking we got a job to do people need saved people got to hear the the good news of the gospel right People need to hear it. Is it our job to save anybody? We don't save a soul. Who saves them? Jesus does, right? Who? No man comes to the Father except what? The Holy Spirit draw him. But what? What? I'm the mouthpiece, right? I have to look for that opportunity when, when somebody stops in and, and comes to my office and says, oh, my life is crazy and I don't know what I'm going to do. You know? Nobody has to tell me tell them about the Lord. Sometimes they walk in just like that. Sometimes it's a guy pumping gas next to you. Sometimes it's a guy behind you in line at Chick-fil-A. Or who's looking through the music section at Walmart with you. You never know where it's going to happen. But when it does, will you till the soil for the future generation to have an opportunity? You never know. You never know that that seed you're planting is not going to come back and touch your family somewhere, right? That person you minister to, you never even prayed a prayer with, but he gets saved. And then he raises his children in the Lord and their kids. Come find your great grandkids one day and lead them to the Lord. Where did it start with the seed you planted? Do you understand what I'm saying? Always got to be doing what jesus called us to do amen let's pray heavenly father lord we just thank you for the time we have to study your word god we thank you for the truth that your word teaches us god i pray that we would just lay hold of the concept of prayer god wrestling prayer to to never give up to never quit to never stop to always be willing to pray Lord, I pray that we would hear that on the highest day of the nation of Israel, Lord, you said, when you guys screw up, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their prayer from heaven, and I'll heal their land. My Think God is true and let every man be a liar. Lord, I pray you would teach your people to pray. Teach us to pray like the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that time that you give us every day, every moment, every minute, that we wouldn't waste it. Guard us from the trip hazards of pride and being puffed up because, you know, God used you in a mighty way. Rather, Lord, I pray that that our focus would just wholly be on watching you, glorifying you, raising your name up, pointing people to Christ, that we would till the soil because somewhere out there is a person we share with that may in turn share with one of our kids or grandkids or somebody else. And if I'm not faithful, then who will be? Lord, I pray You teach us, Lord God, to take it seriously, to do what you're calling us to do. To realize Hezekiah is just a man like me. Problems with pride, problems with other things, but able to see the might of God work through his life. Elijah is a man just like me. Sometimes feels like he wants to quit. But he's able to see the power of God move through his life. And every hero on the pages of Scripture is just like me. Feels the same weakness that I feel, but if he surrenders, if we submit ourselves to the Lord, if we pray, we can see the power of God released in our life. God, I pray that you would do great and awesome things As we look to you, Lord God, to move in our generation. And we give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.